Hey everyone, so good to be with you today. This is the first week in Advent, the weeks leading up to Christmas. We're starting a new Advent message series today, simply called, He is Coming. And so today we're looking at a passage of scripture from the New Testament. It is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And the letter of 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament is considered to be one of the earliest letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, writing somewhere between 49 and 51 AD. So hear this reading from God's Word. Paul says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come and fill the hearts of your faithful. Kindle in us the fire of your love. As we enter into this holy Advent season, I pray that you would speak to us the message of the coming of Christ and what it means for all of us every day. Speak to our hearts, open them to your word, and open your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So my most vivid memory from the sixth grade is from the day of our spring band concert. And I remember because my Aunt Jane and Uncle Bill, they picked me up from school and they took me to Spurgeon's, a clothing store, down on the square in Charleston, Illinois, where I grew up, to buy me a new shirt and some suspenders for my spring concert. What it was strange, though, is it was them that were taking me shopping rather than my mom. And the reason for that was because my dad had been taken to the hospital with a bleeding ulcer and my mom had to be there with him. And so they were going to miss my concert. I'm not sure it's 100% accurate, but it seemed to me that after that first episode that I remember dad being hospitalized, that he would go into the hospital about once a year with some thing or the other. My dad was an insulin-dependent diabetic who always struggled with his weight, and he was obviously one of the most, if not the most, important figure in my life. And from that day of my spring band concert in sixth grade, I began to live with an unshakable fear that my dad was going to be dying young. And it was sometimes overwhelming. He actually did end up dying fairly young at the age of 59 from similar health-related issues. The last time I saw him was at my son Landry's one-year birthday. And I still wrestle with feelings of grief and anger over the fact that my kids didn't get to know my dad as their granddad. A big part of my spiritual journey has had to do with getting my head around what happens when people die. And that goes back to my preteen 
fear of losing my dad that I carried with me all the way till the day that he died. And then after he died, I begin to dive more deeply into the scriptures that talk about the second coming of Christ and what will happen to believers when Jesus returns. And the reason we're looking at this passage today is because this is the first Sunday in Advent. And the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming. And so during Advent, we're not only preparing to celebrate how Jesus came to us the first time on Christmas, we also are remembering and celebrating how he comes to us continually through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. But the first Sunday of Advent is a Sunday set aside on the church calendar to remember and meditate on the fact that Jesus is coming again, that he will return one day. And so the first Sunday of Advent is when we focus on the second advent of Jesus or the second coming of Christ. And for those of us who have accepted Jesus as Lord and want to know him more and experiencing him more and love him more and be filled with his spirit more, the second coming of Christ will be the fulfillment of all of our deepest longings. And it will also be a time of great reunion with our loved ones who died believing in Christ. And this is what Paul is speaking of in our passage today. He starts off in verse 13 saying, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So here Paul is addressing the brothers in the letter. And brothers simply is a word that refers to Christians or believers. Through our faith in Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, we become adopted sons and daughters of God ourselves. And so all other Christians are our brothers or sisters in Christ. And he says this, I don't want you to be uninformed of this. Now, this is a phrase that Paul likes to use when he's transitioning into a topic that he deems very important and which he's um, cautious that maybe his readers don't know what he's about to tell them or they have forgotten what he's about to tell them. So he'll say, we do not want you to be uninformed of this or ignorant of this fact. And he's writing this passage because these first century Christians were experiencing something that they'd never experienced before as Christians. And that was the loss of their loved ones. The early Christians were eagerly awaiting for Christ to return, as we're all called to do. But as time passed and he hadn't returned yet, some of their loved ones were passing away. And it was confusing to them. They thought he would be back very soon. They didn't expect people to die before he returned, but they are. And so Paul is writing this section of this letter to address how they ought to view this situation. And notice that Paul refers to those who have died as having fallen asleep. And this is a beautiful euphemism that the Christians used to speak about those who had died believing in Jesus. Jesus introduced this euphemism um, in John chapter 11. If you remember, he was with his disciples and he got word that his friend Lazarus was sick. But rather than going there to keep him from dying, Jesus waited until he did die. And then he didn't tell his disciples he was dead. He said to them, come, let us go. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and we must go to wake him. Well, they were confused. If he's sick, but he's asleep, he'll get well. Why would we go and wake him up? And Jesus clarifies, Lazarus is dead. 
But then Jesus went to him and raised him back to life, just as easy as if he were waking him from a nap. And so this became a way of speaking about believers who had died. Though their soul goes to be with Christ immediately in heaven upon death, their body lies in the earth, asleep, so to speak, waiting for Christ to return and raise them. He says in verse 14, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now notice first here that he says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Paul is showing that every hope that we believers have for a positive future is tied to the death and resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, then he wasn't the sinless Son of God and the Lord. He was a phony or he was a fraud. If Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, then our sins have not been paid for. If Jesus didn't die and rise from the dead, then death has not been defeated and we have no hope. But since Jesus did die and rise from the dead, that proves that he really was the Son of God come to rescue us. That proves that his death really was sufficient to pay for our sins. And his resurrection proves that he really did defeat death and overcome this world for all who would believe. But Paul says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring those believers who are with Jesus back with Jesus when he returns. What does that mean? So just stick with me. During the time between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus, when a believer dies, their soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven, right? Their body stays on earth. Their soul goes to be with Jesus in heaven. Paul was speaking of this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, where he said, My desire is to depart this body and be with Christ, which is better by far than living down here on earth. Going to heaven, even if I don't take my body with me, is better than being here. He was in chains awaiting death. This is also what Jesus was speaking to when he said to the thief dying next to him on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Not you in body, but you in your spirit, you in your soul. So human beings, though, were not created to be disembodied spirits forever. Human beings, by nature, are body and spirit, body and soul. We are spiritual and physical. And part of what Christ promised is that he would raise the dead and he would give his people new, glorious, imperishable bodies just like he had when he rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus bodily from the grave was to be the first proving of what was to come for the rest of us. And this is what Jesus was talking about when he said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, don't be so surprised, he said. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience life and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So when Jesus returns, he will bring with him the souls of those who have died believing. And when he does, he'll give them their new resurrection bodies. Verse 15, Paul says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. What does he mean when he says that we who are left until Christ returns won't precede those who have died? Well, not everyone who believes in Jesus 
will have already died and gone to heaven by the time that Jesus returns. There will be many of us left. But everyone is going to need a new glorious imperishable body to live in in the new heaven and the new earth. We all know we could use an upgrade in our body. If you're past the age of 30, you probably realize that you're going the wrong direction. Your eyesight's getting worse. Your waistline is getting bigger. Your metabolism is slowing down. Your muscles are changing location. We all know that we would love an upgrade if we're going to live forever. And Jesus promises an upgrade for those who are remaining when he returns. This is what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55, he said, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Notice when Christ returns, death will be permanently and irrevocably dismantled for all of us. Jesus overcame death through his own resurrection, and he will destroy death forever so that we will never fear death again at his return. But Paul says that those who have already died and are with him in soul now in heaven, they will get priority, meaning they will get their new bodies before we get our new bodies. He goes on in verses 16 and 17 to just describe the sequence of events that we can expect. He says in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So first he says, the Lord is going to descend. When Jesus ascended into heaven, the angels said to his followers, why are you standing looking up into heaven? The same Jesus that you saw go into heaven will come back just as you saw him go. Jesus will return bodily as Lord and Savior and King at that day. He will return with all of his glory, with all of his angels, with the armies of heaven. He will return. And it says that he will issue a cry of command. This was a military term. It described a commander speaking to troops who were at ease, calling them to readiness, telling them to fall in line. Here he's calling people who are in the grave to come out of the grave, right? Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in the grave hear the voice of God's son and they will rise again. And then as he does this, it says there'll be the voice of the archangel and the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are not dead will rise up as well and get our new bodies. But it says that we will meet the Lord in the air. The word translated meet here is the word apentasis. And it's a word that was used to describe how when a 
important dignitary would arrive to visit a community, the people would rush out to meet them. Now, they wouldn't rush out to meet them and then leave with the dignitary. They would rush out to meet them and greet them and welcome them as the dignitary arrived in town. And so this is kind of like when I pull in the driveway at home and I open the garage door and my dog Titus hears the garage door goes up. He knows that I'm home. So he starts barking and scraping at the door so someone will let him out. If they do, he rushes out to greet me, squealing and smiling. Yes, he has a funny smile. He actually can't smile. And then we go into the house together, right? So when Christ returns, we will meet him in the air as he returns to earth to inaugurate the new heaven and the new earth. It will be wonderful. We caught up in the clouds to meet him, receive our glorious and perishable bodies. And it says, Paul says that we will be with them. That is with our loved ones who died believing. We will be in our new bodies. They will be in their new bodies. We will meet them. We will greet him. We will greet them. We will always be with them and with him forever. This is what we can expect as believers when Christ returns. Paul ends this section by saying in verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this passage or other passages about the return of Christ, this may seem like a whole lot to process. And you're thinking, boy, that's a lot of stuff I never thought of before. Let me tell you, it's a wonderful topic to study and just look at what the scriptures say. And there might be parts that are hard to understand, but there's a lot that just is easy to understand. We just haven't exposed ourselves to it and thought through it. I want to tell you, there's a book that I recommend more than almost any other book. And it's the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's a wonderful book. It's one that I refer to people who are grieving or who want to know more about the return of Christ, about heaven, about things to come. Can't recommend it highly enough. Heaven by Randy Alcorn. You should get it. You should read it. Keep it on your coffee table. You'll refer back to it often. So let's draw out some applications that this text has already given us as we close, especially as we think about these seasons where we're facing the holidays and certain people might not be with us that used to be with us, or maybe we've just lost loved ones. So the first thing the scripture reminds us is to believe, to believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. The entirety of the Christian hope is based on the historical events of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus for the salvation of sinners. This is the good news. When God, the eternal one, entered into the human race and he started fighting back the darkness, he lived a life free of sin, he taught about the kingdom of God, he let us kill him, and then in doing so, he rendered himself payment for our sins, he rose from the dead, he appeared to hundreds of people repeatedly over a 40-day period, giving them many convincing proofs that he was alive. They were so convinced that they were willing to give their lives telling others that Jesus was the true Lord and he had defeated death. And eventually he, the whole Roman Empire within a few hundred years had converted to the declaration that Jesus was Lord. And his people like you and me continue to spread the word. This happened in history. This is true. The resurrection and the death of Jesus proved God's love for us and God's power over everything, even death. Believe it. This is true. This is not a hoax. This is not a joke. Jesus Christ came, he died, he rose, and he's coming back. Number two, grieve as those who have hope. Paul says in verse 13, we do not want you to be 
uninformed brothers about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. There's two mistakes that Christians can make with regard to grief. One mistake is to think that Christians shouldn't grieve. Think that we, since we believe that our loved ones died and went to heaven, that we should skip straight over grief to being happy for them. Well, that's not healthy at all. Grief is necessary. Grief is part of processing the loss of a loved one. And we have to give ourselves permission to grieve and to feel the feelings that go along with that temporary separation. And Jesus himself even grieved with Lazarus's sisters when he went to see Lazarus and raise him back. Before Jesus arrived, Mary and Martha, they came out and said that Lazarus had died. And it says in John chapter 11, verse 35, that Jesus wept. He broke down and wept. He grieved with them. In Romans 12, we are called to grieve with those who grieve. Yes, death is unnatural. Human beings were created to live forever with God and one another in body and soul, joined together, physical and spiritual. What we know is death is an unnatural separation of the soul from the body. God created us to live. Satan tempted the first ancestors of the human race, and they sinned, and they created death. And this temporary severing of body from soul, it hurts. It's like a ripping. It's like a robbery. And it feels that way. It feels wrong because it is. And so Jesus came to reverse the effects of death through resurrection. But in the meantime, grief is appropriate. Grief is necessary. So grieve. But second mistake we can make as Christians is grieving with no hope. Grieving like people who don't believe. We need to grieve, but we grieve with hope. We don't grieve as those who are never going to see their loved ones again. Grieve as those who believe that when you die, you cease to exist. We feel all the profound and distressing feelings that everyone feels when someone dies. And we feel safe entering into those because we know that death does not have the final say. We believe that Jesus died, but he rose again. And we believe that our believing loved ones are with Jesus. And they will come back with Jesus and get new bodies and live in a renewed heaven and a new earth. If we die before Christ returns, we will be with them and return with them. If we're here when he returns, we'll meet them in the air when they return. We have great hope. We grieve, but we grieve with hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. The third thing is to encourage each other with these words. Encourage one another with the truth. That's what Paul says we should do at the end. Verse 18, encourage one another with these words. The very basic teachings of Christianity are simply so encouraging. The story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is just so encouraging. We follow a leader who defeated death. And because he did that, we believe everything else he has said he will do, he will do, including his return, including the resurrection of all believers, including the great reunion. So I pray that you will take the time to encourage yourself with these words, that you'll read up on these things, and that you'll also internalize them to the point where you're confident encouraging others with them as well. Let's pray. Oh God, as we start this journey toward Christmas, it can be a great time and it can be a hard time. 
I just pray, Lord, that you will help us all to remember all that you came and accomplished when you came the first time and all that you promised to accomplish when you return. For those who are grieving, for those who feel lonely, pray that you would make your presence known, Emmanuel, God with us, that they would feel the peace of the Prince of Peace. And now, Lord, we um, join Christians of all time who have prayed the prayer that unites us as we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now let us declare with confidence what we believe. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so that you can be notified of our most recent content. If you have any comments or questions for us, feel free to jump over to WashingtonCrossroads.com. Thank you again and have a great week.